0: Greetings friends and gentle listeners And welcome to episode 31 of the Spicer Speaking Podcast I'm your host, Judd Spicer Four-time award-winning writer Associate member of the Golf Writers Association of America Former ESPN radio co-host Lover (whistles) Fighter Dog owner And so on and so forth couple aberrations in episode 31 of the Spicer Speaking Podcast. You may notice via your time clock some degree of brevity this week, because it's guestless. It's a guestless program. Something of an aberration in the previous 30 episodes. Never done that before. Heck, in the, I don't know, approximately 400 radio shows, I did for... ESPN and Palm Springs. I think we tried that but once or twice. Not very often, but a couple of essays today, both of which Olympic-based. Hope they blow your hair back, but yeah, a shorter episode. Also new this week, not broadcasting and recording from sun-kissed Palm Desert, California in the bosom of the Coachella Valley, but rather from elevation up yonder mountain in Big Bear, California, where Uncle Juddy is warned to escape a time or two annually during the summer season. About 7,500 feet, if you can hear me grasping for breath a little bit. Maybe a little ambient noise of the wild in the backdrop. Is it real? Is it pumped in? Who knows what happens up here? And the mountain, again, 7,500 feet. Always like getting away up here, about 30 degree break <laughs> on the desert floor. A little hiking, a little messing around, a little fun. A little club math at the Bear Mountain Golf Course. It's a historic course up here. It's 80 or 90 years old, nine-hole play, but tricky, not a pushover by any stretch again got to measure that clubbing with elevation couple of testy holes out there be doing that during this week as well Of course none of this would be possible without a trio of excellent sponsors that list starts weekly with perform better at performbetter.com we're now in the home stretch of the 32nd i want to say it is summer olympiad so many of the athletes that we are watching competing right now use Perform Better and their sister company everything track and field Yeah, per the latter a lot of those track and fielders clients of Perform Better you don't have to be a world class athlete to go on performbetter.com shop for those barbells dumbbells stretchy bands bouncy balls whatever your pleasure shipping Is free for orders, $49 or more. Desert Willow Golf Resort at DesertWillow.com. Get your tee times online for the Mountain View and Firecliff courses, respectively. Going to talk a little bit more about Desert Willow and the Palm Desert Golf Academy. Had another visit with Paul Busey last week. Work on that swing plane. In the interim, check out those junior and kid camps this summer, or again, Get your tee for one of the finest municipal facilities in the entire West Coast, to be sure. DesertWillow.com. Internationally renowned golf photography from John and Janine Hennebury. You can find that online at the Henebree's, their vast portfolio. H-E-N-E-B-R-Y-S.com. It's going to lead right into this week's opening image, friends. And that opening image is brought to you by Henneby Photography. i got to tell you, a lot of assignments of late involves, to some degree, checking out a lot of golf courses, a lot of golf course websites, so many of them. This is not a slight, but it's a reality. They just don't have great photography. They don't have fresh, new imagery of their golf courses on their website, and that says something, whether it be to a writer, a other media researcher, or just a guest looking to check out your course. So it's probably time to update that if you haven't done it for a spell. If you're a golf course owner, operator, director of golf, GM, head super with some pull, check out the Hennebreeze. Again, they've done it all over the country, done it all over the world for a long time. That's who you're going to want to hire. Come get fresh photography of your golf course, thehennebreeze.com that, folks, segue to the words of the opening image. You know, we talk about the Olympics, I guess, every two years. Sport-centric, summer-centric, winter-centric. But, you know, after the sports society conversation crossover of these Tokyo games, me thinks not. Across the dialogue landscape of these games and the concurrent national discourse if not debate regarding Simone Biles' The ripple effect of these Olympics have undoubtedly paved an unbalanced beam of side choosing, the likes of which won't dismount, perhaps ever. Now, as a program note, I want to interject that this piece was penned and this episode was recorded after. Simone Biles announced her intent to compete in this week's gymnastics balance beam final, but before said event was held. I don't know how she finished, but the timing of such doesn't alter the opining. In fact, in my mind, it only enhances the dichotomy of discourse. Biles, as we all know, withdrew from the women's all-around finals and a trio of individual event finals at these games, citing both the case of the twisties and the toll of competition on her mental health. Per the latter, as regular listeners will Recall from episode 26 of the Spicer Speaking Podcast, from June 9, I shared my thoughts on Naomi Osaka's withdrawal from the French Open and paired those impressions with a guest visit from Dr. Adam Gollenberg of Twin Cities-based Premier Sports Psychology. A similar thread here, friends, as it pertains to high-level athletes and mental wellness talking about with the case of the twisties. I'll spare you my own faux-expert opinion on that front, As I have had other gymnasts confirm for me, previous competitive gymnasts, they've told me that that sensation of the twisties is very real, very frightening, and indeed a potential threat to one's physical well-being in a very dangerous sport. A return to compete on the beam wouldn't seem to pose quite as much threat as the other events, although probably still dangerous. However, in my estimation, by ...return poses a lose-lose for the gym legend. It's, of course, her decision, her choice, and she can do and can do whatever the heck she deems best. Perhaps by the time this episode and essay comes out, she'll have won the gold and many will revel and reflect on a narrative of redemption. Whereby the greatest American gymnast ever only further cemented her legacy by willing herself atop the podium through the very real encumbrance of an injury which requires neither tangible bandage nor crutch. Yet, whatever may occur in this return, I don't really see it that way. Again, Simone Biles should do, can do, whatever she deems personally best for her. As I detailed in full back on June 9, per my own education and support and advocacy regarding a loved one's struggles with mental illness, Biles' return vibes the exact co-opting of mental health, pardon me, which I thought Naomi Osaka was towing a line. For Biles to claim her withdrawals on the grounds of mental wellness, she's now walking a balanced beam of expressing to people with diagnosed conditions that, hey, you can get better in five days. And I can tell you with some degree of small authority and unfortunate experience, that's rarely rarely the case. Moreover, regardless of the ultimate outcome of her return? Biles' previous withdrawals have created two schools of thought, neither of which, in my view, is either distinctly right or wrong. There's the school of support, which, to borrow from USA Today's terrific scribe, Nancy Armour, that school basically states that Biles should be championed for living an ethos of, quote, it's okay not to be okay. That thread borrows from the Osaka scenario a few months back and undoubtedly has a strong following, as it should. By not competing and looking out for herself when she believed that a lack of mental wellness could lead to physical dangers, that makes sense. Additionally, for an athlete to know one's limitations and have the bravery to not compete, despite basically being the face of the world's largest sporting event, yeah, that took some guts. The other side of this conversation would eschew the school of support in lieu of the old school. The rub some dirt on it school. The overcome your obstacles school. The school to borrow from Sir Francis Bacon. Of fortitude is the marshal of thought. Speaking plainly, it's a belief that today's athlete has become softer. The face of her trade the peak of her career, the pinnacle of her sport, the prime moment of her craft, which most people pay attention to twice a decade. And yeah, the captain of her team, this school, believes that Biles, akin to Osaka, arrived at the threshold of pressure, which we champion our athletes for overcoming. They believe she arrived at this threshold and she folded. And in doing so, even though she truly owes us the sporting media and sporting public and sporting fandom, she owes us nothing, she did let down her teammates, forcing them into events and scenarios for which they were they were either not supposed to compete or as Olympic rookies, all of them, likely a bit green about the spotlight under which they were thrust after losing their captain and only Olympic veteran, and these young women specifically. Jade Carey on the floor, and St. Paul's own Sunni Leah in the all-around, they met their moments with a plum. As for Biles, well, perhaps her own best moment is still yet to come. She's a generational talent. Nobody can take that away from her. She's the greatest U.S. gymnast ever. Upon that podium, she stands alone. She's been through some personal hell to even be able to compete at all. And for that will and strength and fortitude, she's a champion without any medals hanging around her neck. But as I said for Osaka, the true legacy here will come via advocacy. We all want Simone Biles to be healthy of head and heart. That is not a matter of debate. For her greatest achievement, for all the young girls and women who surely look up to her rather, If she has the strength to withdraw from the global spotlight, then she surely has the muscle to fight for mental wellness advocacy and investment and to become a visible and vocal champion for that next podium in her young life. All right, dudes, it's going to bring us to this week's T-Sheet segment, T-Sheet per usual, brought to you by Desert Willow Golf Resort, Tee times made online at DesertWillow.com. As I said at the outset, one of the finest municipal facilities, the entire West Coast. It's just, it's just way more than that. It's one of the, one of the best 36 holes you're going to find in California, north or south. Also home, of course, to the Palm Desert Golf Academy. As I've told you in recent episodes, in recent weeks, got a lesson plan going on there right now with Paul Busey over at Desert Willows Palm Desert Golf Academy. And we're getting there, baby steps. Little by little, as Paul says, trying to just get 1% better each day. And for me, friends, as I've told you, handicap is ballooned to now about 11.5. And And we are trying to rework that swing plane. As we watch, uh, as Paul and I watch on video when he tapes my swing, I've got a not too... Yeah, I've got an ugly swing, I'll say that, but it's not too atypical for an amateur to have that over-the-top compensation move. So for my swing, basically, it's an inside-to-outside loop, which is not very efficient, it's not very consistent. Yeah, it'll get the job done sometimes, but pound-for-pound, it's really not the swing that you want. So Paul and I have been working on an inverse loop, whereby... We're going from an outside takeaway to bring in the path inside on the downswing. Baby steps, <clears throat> pardon me, it's taken some adjustments. have been doing some swing-by-swing swing video analysis with Louis Oostazen to that effect. Not that we're trying to get my swing looking that pretty. It never will be the case. But he's not just showing me the Louis Oostazen video for the purposes of looking at a pretty swing, but showing me some practice videos of Louis Oosthuizen, and, and frame by frame that takeaway, that club position where he's trying to get the club face on playing in, in the downswing. And it's working a little bit. You know, Paul's not uh, professing any kind of magic wand with my ugly swing. This is a four, five, maybe if I get lucky, a six-session lesson planned. Lesson plan rather. And there's some homework involved. You know, when you take lessons like this, you can't just pop in every couple of weeks and hope that it's a quick fix. you got to practice on your own. So I've been doing that back at the range in the desert. Done it a few times up here in yonder big bear. Gone to the range and just really trying to get that muscle memory in of that takeaway on the outside, bringing it back to the inside. Did take it to the course one day before uh, I drove up here to Big Bear, thanks to uh, Kyle Kelly, by the way, over at uh, Historic Tamarisk Country Club. Had a fun day over there with uh, friends of the show, Blake Arthur, Shad Powers, not to mention our boy Gabo, Gabo Ayala, went over to the Tamarisk. and, And there were some results. You know, it's always tough to take that Lesson T to the golf course, but I didn't feel too terribly uncomfortable. But it is certainly a work in progress. I'm going to go see Paul again next week. Um, but honestly, friends, if you're if you're looking for a lesson, if you're looking to get that one percent better, check out Paul at the Palm Desert Golf Academy. Not only is he a wonderfully experienced teacher, but I've found him to be a great communicator. You know, like I've told you before about. Doing an interview that you feel really good about should be kind of like therapy. Same goes for golf instruction. If the teacher is doing a good job, it should kind of feel like therapy. And uh, I think it does feel like that with Paul because he's a great communicator. He's an excellent listener. He's letting me talk through what feels right, right, what feels weird, what feels wrong, and where we're trying to get with this swing change. I'll update you more in weeks to come. As far as this week's T-sheet essay, I want to ask you, did you go for the gold with Olympic men's golf, or did you go for the pillow? Taken nothing away from an exemplary win in Tokyo by SoCal's own Xander Shoffley, a guy that I've, got to say I've interviewed and found laudably genuine, modest, and funny. I interviewed... Xander, when he was just a, a tour pup right before his uh, PGA Tour debut, that was some years ago now, out here in the Palm Springs area. And honestly, he could not have been a more genuine, likable young guy. He still seems very much the same way. He hasn't let all that success get to his head. Even, even, even all that considered, Xander's awesome win considered. It's been a dramatic time difference watching these Olympics a lot of while-you-were-sleeping headlines. Of course, they played sans fans. I think most of us are still kind of finding golf's return to the Olympic Games a little bit lacking. Now, please file this under critique before criticism, but now back for its sophomore effort, after returning in 2016 in Rio, following a 100-plus year absence from the Olympics. The golf event doesn't much vibe like other events at the Olympic Games. And why? Well, maybe it's because we're so used to watching these same guys playing for self in stroke play events week in, week out. And the Olympics can kind of come across as like another WGC event, sporting half a field of dudes you barely heard of, meaning half of the field basically has no chance to win. As for the other half, well, for regular golf viewers at least, it's tough to escape the very real and rote concept that these fellows are multi-millionaire independent contractors who for one week happen to be donning a shirt and slacks bearing the name of their country. Or in the case of silver medalist Rory Sabatini, one's kind of country. Xander's unique backstory considered. In brief, his dad was a German Olympic hopeful as a decathlete before being struck by a drunk driver in a car accident. Oh, and Xander's Grandparents also uh, live in Tokyo. It is a unique backstory. The golf event just doesn't jibe with the narrative of many, if not most, other Olympic sports, even with sports which put individual onus on a stage and a medal claim for country, like swimming, shot-putting, fencing, sprinting. But they still, those events, they come across in a coalesced effort for teamwork under one's flag. And it's not even the money or sport familiarity, uh, familiarity rather. It's not those factors which would seem to dictate as much, but rather the narrative sacrificing and competing for the flag. This kind of seems to be absent a little bit across golf's Olympic fairways. A way to change that? Come 2024 in Paris? Perhaps one need look no further than the PGA Tour's annual Zurich Classic in New Orleans, to find a little more of that vibe. The Zurich is two team uh, a team event, rather, with two-man squads, and splits the uh, two days of foursomes play, taking the better of the two players' scores on each hole, with two days of four-ball play, in which players rotate shots and then hit, uh, rotate tee shots, rather, and then hit alternate shots until the ball is hold. It's fun to watch. Kind of funky. So different. It's a nuanced strategy, and the teams, at least the successful ones, undoubtedly lean on one another for achievement. Would such an ethos not play well in the Olympics? The games at present assemble a field of 60 players from the Olympic golf rankings, which basically echo the charts of the official world golf rankings. Some countries have alone participants. Some have a couple. Or in the case of Xander and the U.S. squad, they had four based on all said players charting in the top 15 of the rankings. This year, at the Gulf uh, Men's uh, Olympic Competition, 35 countries were represented across the field of 60 players. My thoughts? Create an eligibility system for 50 countries in which each squad is comprised of its two highest-ranked players and then let them duel it out with the cut line in the format described for the Zurich. More fun, more nationalism, more nuance, more strategy, and to better grasp the true tenor of the games, more teamwork at play. And you missed the men's event? Well, then check out the women's tourney this week and assess for yourself. Friends, that's going to wrap it up. A little shorter and sweeter, guestless episode of the Spicer Speaking Podcast. So appreciative of your time, your interest, Your ears, of course, this program would not be possible without three terrific sponsors. List starts weekly with Perform Better, performbetter.com. All your gym, fitness, seminar, workout needs. Check it out, performbetter.com. Desert Willow Golf Resort, home of the Mountain View and Fire Cliff courses, respectively, in Palm Desert, California. Get those tee times online or go visit Paul Busey and his talented cast and crew at the Palm Desert Golf Academy, and internationally renowned golf photography from John and Janine Hennebury. Take a peek at their vast international portfolio. Courses all over the world, courses all over the country, at The Hennebree's, H-E-N-E-B-R-Y-S dot com. Be safe out there. Be good to one another. I'm going to be headed back from Big Bear next week, catch my breath back on the desert floor. But it's good to be up here, friends. Thank you so much for your time, and if I may interject, if you haven't got your shot yet, go get vaccinated. Man, 14-day window across the country, cases are up over 140%, deaths are up over 25%. I mean, heck, in the last couple days, like 300 people have died, the vast amount of whom like over 97% of whom haven't got vaccinated. I'm starting to see these mandates come back. Let's let's work together. Let's let's get past this. Believe me, I was a little hesitant, a little sheepish as well about getting my jabs, but I'm glad I did. Feel like a good son, good boyfriend, good employee, good neighbor. Let's look out for one another. Let's get past this damn thing together. All right, thank you for suffering me that. I know not all of you tune in for that opinion. But thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of the Olympics. And be well.